This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. Good morning and welcome to Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Abram Nanny, here with Shane Chisholm and Sabir Abdul-Haq. We've talked about AI many, many times on Everyday Tech. However, I think it's time for us to discuss how artificial intelligence can actually help and improve our lives. To help us with that, we have an expert in the area on the show with us this morning. Today, I get the pleasure to welcome tech industry pioneer Jerome Pazenti to the show, who has worked in AI for over two decades at successful companies like IBM and Meta. As always, though, let's check in with the guys first. How are y'all doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, I'm good. I'm glad to be back. Welcome back, my friend. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I know it's been a minute, but we just had some stuff going on, and I just I had stuff had to take care of at work, so. That comes first sometimes, and I'm sorry, guys, but, yeah. you know, I'm back now. We're sad. I got oh, my Kleenex sorry. sitting right here, bro. <laughs> hey, I got my Kleenex I, I right missed here. you, man. I missed you guys. <laughs> fully, I did. I missed yeah. you. Yeah. We miss you, too. We fully get it, though, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sabir, oh, yeah. how you doing? Uh, it, it's great. It's great to be here. It's great that we're having this show about AI because I've actually been using AI for uh, press releases. Like okay. to be able to put together like press releases and stuff. So, uh, and it's been working pretty good um, for. So, I mean, just in preparation for the show and everything else like that, I definitely AI is great. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad to be here though. It's just been been busy, just trying to find different ways to use AI. And that's and from what I understand of AI, when I'm constantly learning, that's just a drop in the bucket for what you could use it for. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. So, so what have you guys been working on lately, Shane? Like, what's what's been going on? I just new iPhone stuff, stuff like that. That's mm. really all we've had going on. People mm. getting ready for holidays. Really, we hadn't had too much really going on, mm. other than like just the reasons I've had to be there and not be on here. Yeah. But right. we hadn't had too much going on. I mean, you got you got big holiday season for retail coming up. Oh so my goodness, that'll yeah. that'll be interesting. Man, yeah. yeah, indeed. It'll be uh, not fun, but also fun at the same time. So. I got you. Shane, Shane, you would be proud of me. Last week, I was actually somewhat. Wasn't I kind of like on oh, the you were so you I were was, so fair oh, for both of us. I listened. I was fair for 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 iPhone. I was fair because because you because you weren't here and and Shane did pretty yeah. good and uh, Shane. I'm sorry, Abram did pretty good. Oof. Shane, he was he did uh he did pretty good in terms of making sure that that iPhone was represented. Of course, I had to get my barbs in for Team Android, <laughs> but uh, I was trying oh, to be fair. To, I get it. I, <laughs> that's it. That's it. But it was it was so good. I do. I do want to speak on something. I was just given, I became a Google ambassador at uh, my current job. And so I was sent a Google Pixel 8 Pro and I got to be honest, Mm -hmm. it's a nice phone, man. It's a nice phone. Yeah. It's, I think if you ever wanted to be, if you were an iPhone person, you ever thought about trying out a different phone OS, Mm -hmm. Google is the way to go. It's very simplified. Yeah. Yeah, so, I agree. My son's got the Google Pixel Seven. Not to go down that rabbit yeah, hole, but yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, my son's nice. got the Seven, and he he loves it. He loves yeah, it. well, that, that's why I've tried to to make the distinction earlier last mm. week that like we were just talking about iPhone versus Android. So if you mm. missed last week, make sure you check out the podcast oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so you can hear our full discussion because we we kind of 
went went into it a little yes, bit. Yes, we did. We did. So from the beginning, uh, from the top, I talked about uh, AI. Yeah. We've talked about AI several times on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what was you guys' first introduction to AI? You know, before chatbots and the most recent AI industry rush, what was your first introduction to AI, Sabir? Uh, so SharePoint, which is a Microsoft product, uh, used to have this, it was kind of AI. It was like a touch of AI, uh, when it comes to doing old school, like websites, like coding and stuff. And they were, they had ways of being able to kind of like check some of your coding and your scripts. So what you would see on a website that would look all nice and everything else was paragraph upon paragraph of coding. And mm-hmm. even like the old school flash, which is what's used, they had like a little bit of AI and kind of call it AI to check what you were doing, saying like, wait a minute, this is wrong. And it would highlight and everything else. That was my first touch to it. I, I'd have to say that was... 2008, 2009, I think maybe like then you can kind of call it that because it was, it was more of a script checker, and I guess you and the way how it was happening automatically was kind of AI. It was kind of it was kind of right. AI. So um, that was my first time really fooling with it. I hadn't done anything since until like we were talking about earlier, where things have become more conversational, mm-hmm. and they're saying like. You can put together like press releases and everything else. And I do that for folks who are like, oh, my God, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Uh, and my business is actually turning it, making a sea change more to logistics right now. And one of the things we're working on uh, will be like we call them 15 minute press releases and things like that. So to generate a press release in 15 minutes and stuff. So things like that, certain marketing stuff and everything we're working on. But definitely, definitely uh, that's going from back in the day from what, about four. 14 years ago to present day, we I still I don't think I've really like really dropped, you know, any kind of water in the bucket compared to what AI is capable of. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Shane, what what about you? I know like you're probably like me, like my first introduction to AI was like bad guys in video games. <laughs> yeah, bad guys in video games and probably like AI themed villains in movies. Nice. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. It's probably right. something like that. What, what was that? What was that Terminator show? type stuff. Terminator. <laughs> uh, what was that? Eagle Eye? Yeah. The the one uh, with the Shia LaBeau? With, um, oh, yeah. Uh, the, I Shia, forgot all about that Yeah, movie. It was, that was a movie. Yeah. It was like an NBA. Yeah. I just said, like, I'm just going to start wiping out humanity. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got Shia LaBeau, Superman. Shia, you got to check yeah. it out. It's called yes. Eagle Eye. He had oh, a twin I'm... brother uh, who originally created the program, and the only reason good. they could use it they needed him. The other brother was not really tech savvy, but it was it was matched to his twin brother's DNA. Right. It was really good. Movie. That's really wild. Good movie. I'll, I'll have to check out. Uh, I'll have to ask Jerome about that later, yeah. Mr. Presenti. Hmm. Uh, so there are several ways artificial intelligence has been helping us for many years and some that are brand new. So like like I mentioned, the the video games, you know, bad guys and video games. But there's also been audio transcription bots like that you probably don't realize like mm. YouTube closed captioning and mm. like live TV closed captioning. So whenever you're in like a fast food restaurant and you see subtitles that are auto generated, that's, that's an AI. You know what? I think prior to about a year ago, I thought someone was typing that. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I used to think that. I don't know why. I mean, I, right. I, I, I want to give myself a, a, a face palm. <laughs> To, to, to think that. But yeah, yeah, I, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, there's also like audio wave analysis, like, you know, Shazam yeah. used, used to be big. Absolutely. Like, yeah. you, Shane, did you, were you big on Shazam? I know it's on Snapchat oh, yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Shazam's got, every, Snapchat has Shazam's. Shazam it's now? on Shazam. Okay. I don't know if Snapchat owns Shazam. I don't gotcha. think they do. Okay. I think, doesn't, I thought Apple owns Shazam. I, I think, think that's right. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and uh, a couple weeks ago on a show, uh, Creature Comforts mentioned uh, that you can have a bird identification sound uh, through through an AI bot. There's also visual. Oh, hey, analysis. if you take. Oh, go ahead, bud. Yeah, I was gonna say if you take photos on your iPhone and you have a picture of a dog. So actually, if you click on the photo, you can identify the breed of the dog. That's okay. exactly where I, I think was it's going. Right. Yeah. 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 Google I don't know if it's 100%. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like like that, there's visual analysis There's that includes, like, face ID and your, your login on your phone and also face ID and photos. Like, it'll collect photos that you've got of several different people, like, if the same person over and over. There's also professional uses, like Sabir mentioned, with mm-hmm. marketing and press releases and stuff, and code mm-hmm. writing and graph analysis. So, yep. like I said, like there's plenty of positive uses for AI that we will get into, and I'll I'll talk with that with Mr. Presenti in a little bit. If you or someone you know notably uses AI to help with their work, we'd love to hear about it and share with the others on the show. Email us at everydaytech at mpbonline.org. Thanks for tuning in to Everyday Tech. This is Abram Nanny, your host for the hour. Over the course of this show, we've discussed AI many times, probably too many to count. You've heard myself and many others speculate on humanity's future regarding AI, be that positive or negative. Today, though, we welcome an expert in the development of AI to the show, Jerome Pazenti. Jerome has been a leader in the field of artificial intelligence for 25 years and has played a fundamental role in the advancement of tech companies like Benevolent AI, IBM, Meta, and now Sizzle. His input and recommendations even helped shape the UK government's initiative to advance the artificial intelligence industry in the UK. First off, I got to say, Mr. Jerome, it is an honor to have you here. The more I read up on you, the more uh, I'm just fascinated with uh, your work and what you've done. It's uh, it's really an honor to have you here. Thank you for coming on. Well, thanks. thanks for having me. So if you could give us a little bit of a rundown of the start of your career in tech. So like... Like I said in the beginning, you've been part of the tech industry for like 25 years or so. So all these technological ch- technological changes many have seen over that time, you were really kind of a part of all of that. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, you know, I came to the U.S. I'm French. I came to the U.S. 25 years ago. Uh, the little stories, I came to do my military service in, in, uh, in Pittsburgh uh, to do some research at Carnegie Mellon. And so I did some research in AI, you know, in 98 it was. And then decided to start an AI company in 2000, before it was the fashion to to do AI or to do AI companies. So that was the start of the story. Um, and it was re- it's really amazing to see how much the whole field has grown from being maybe an oddity to something that people thought failed and succeed and fail over, you know, like the AI winter, to now being something that I think people start to use every day. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's been wild to see just in the past few years how much we've talked about AI. Uh but you've been kind of you've been a part of that for 20 years or so. so. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think you know the technology has improved recently faster than I would have even dreamt of. And you know, I think it surprises even the expert in the field how fast it's moving. Yeah, that that is wild. I, I've said on the show several times, but for the past 20 years or so, we've kind of continuously ascended to a new level of this industrial revolution over and over again. Do you think advancing and embracing AI is the next step in that line? Actually, exactly. I think, uh, I think you know, when we look back at today in 50 years, we'll think of AI as computers. You know, it's kind of the continuation of the automation, you know, from machines in the Industrial Revolution to computers in the late 20th century to now AI. 
I think it would be perceived as just a continuous evolution rather than something new as we see it today. Yeah, so that's like, I've always thought it's so odd how we've gone from in the past 20, 30 years, we had, you know, computers taking up whole buildings. And now we can do, uh, we have a more advanced computer that, you know, fits in our pockets. And like, you, like I said, like you've been a part of that the whole step through and, and AI is improving along with that industrial revolution. That's right. And I think, you know, we'll look back at, you know, our, you know, laptops and our phones as little oddities in a few years, you know, because we've kind of adapted to these computers rather than these computers adapting to us. And I think the next 20 years will be the age of adaptation of the computers to us. You know, like they'll, they'll be really good to us, much easier to use than in the past. Oh, that's a, that's a cool way to phrase that. I haven't thought about it like that, that we're adapting to our computers more. That's cool. Um, so you know, yeah. have you ever thought of the, the keyboard you're using, you know, the QRT keyboard, you know, the story behind it? Well, tell me, please, was, please tell me. I would love to hear it. Slow you down. And it was, it was made for typing machines. You know, and it was designed so that you would slow it down so they wouldn't jam, you know. Really? So we've been using this silly, like, unergonomic keyboard for now 40 years because it's designed for entry that was slowed down, you know. Oh, my gosh. So it's, you know, like the computers in some way, we are kind of like adapting to this. You know, the way we interact with it is not very natural for humans. And so I assume, you know, in the next 20, 30 years, it will really change. For sure. So it's like intentionally unintuitive. Like, uh, you, you, was, yeah. yeah, so you would think if, of course, you know, when I first started looking at keyboards and learning my alphabet, I didn't realize, like, why would it not be alphabetical order and whatnot? So that's cool. Uh, for many people, the thought of artificial intelligence was merely resigned to sci-fi stories up until jet pot, chat bots like ChatGPT and Bard came out in the past few years. And you've been working with AI for long before that. Um, so it's really so much more than just the chatbots that we see that have re- that have surfaced in the past couple of years? I would say, I think that the, the chatbot didn't come in a vacuum. You know, they happen, you know, with the succession of evolution. I think the most recent one has been the most visible, but I think AI has been used at scale now for a good 10, you know, 10 years, you know, in many of the large companies in ways that you don't perceive, but has been quite influential actually. Um, I know my first real life experiences that I can think of with AI, uh, would probably be like playing a video game and where you're, you know, you're fighting these bad guys and these bad guys kind of have their own mind of their own. And I think that's probably my first experience with an AI. Um, so, but a lot of us don't realize that it's kind of everywhere. Uh, we deal with AI just by scrolling through our social media feed, which was part of your idea at Meta, Meta, right? Part of your, your job description. Yeah, that's my idea. Yeah, I mean, I would say like the most, you know, usage at scale has been through recommender systems. So when you fire up TikTok or Reels or uh, or you do a search on Google or uh, you look at some ads, uh, the way these contents are determined and put in front of you is using pretty sophisticated AI to try to understand, you know, what's the most relevant thing for you? And it's picking it up out of billions of possibilities, you know. Okay, uh, so the second I'm opening my social media feed, I'm being analyzed by an AI. Well, you were analyzed before. Analyzed before that. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, no, no, no. Right, let's be clear. Like, you've been you've been analyzed so long as you have been using the app. Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, but the next time you open it, it takes into account your whole history of interaction with the app. Oh, for sure, for sure. 
Um, and I, I have on my notes here, like I can't stress this enough that this is not a bad thing that that AI can do this, and it's it's looking at our our algorithm to, um, or it's using these algor- algorithms to recommend what we want to see, what it thinks we want to see. Well, in general, it makes the content more relevant, uh, so you'll find it more engaging, more entertaining, more interesting. I think whether you know how positive that is, I think is an interesting question. You know whether uh, right. it's good for you to keep, keep scrolling or do something else uh, is an interesting question. But it is, you know, it is a way to make the content more valuable or more interesting, more used for sure. You know, and in ads, it's a way of making you know the ads more relevant to you rather than a product you would not be interested in in in, in viewing. So I think you could argue that it's positive. Yes, right. So, so many people will hear those two letters AI together, and you know, automatically kind of put their guard up. Uh, and but being a forerunner in this industry, is that one of your biggest difficulties when it comes to the new ground that AI is breaking? Like, is it is it something that you're kind of fighting with to constantly re-portray AI in a different light? Uh, I wouldn't say so. I mean, um, when I was at at IBM, there was the challenge at the time, which was like maybe like almost like ten years ago of getting companies to adopt more automated systems. You know, they were a bit worried about it, that the humans were not in the loop. So I would say with the popularization of AI with ChatGPT, that's become much easier, you know, for people to kind of like commercialize AI. But I think the people themselves as users, you know, I think I, I, I think they should be, you know, uh, a bit skeptical and they should be a little worried. And the key for everybody developing products is to show them that the benefit they get from them and from AI is greater than the cost, right? Yeah. So I don't think it's anything new. It's, with every technology, there's, you know, there could be some uh, negative aspects, and you need to convince the users that it's really good for them, and they need to uh, to uh, enjoy the value. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've said it several times before: is that like it kind of all depends on the user to allow the AI to uh, do what it wants to do or what they want it to do. So. We have talked about like threat actors and red teaming at length on this show. Is that something that you guys have had have experience with in your work? Sorry, repeat that. Threat hackers, threat threat actors, and red teaming. Oh Oh, yeah, red teaming. I think um, you know when I was at Meta, this one thing actually I did there is to create a red team. Um, It's these systems are sometimes a little hard to understand how they're going to behave and the side effects of putting this technology. So I would say like. Red teaming is becoming an industry standard. Uh, you want to figure out, you know, how people can abuse the system you're putting out there. So I would say that's that's a good practice. And it's a lot less, you know, it's becoming a lot more, um, how can I say, unpredictable in the way it behaves. I mean, obviously there are guardrails you can put around it. Um, but, you know, the system has more power and you need to be able to understand all the different aspects of it. So I, I would say, yes, it's it's quite important. Threat actors, I think, is something different. I mean, you see, like, as you put technology out there, people will use AI to do things uh, and to leverage it, to create content, to create attacks, et cetera, et cetera, yes. Right. Uh, so how would you even go about testing an artificial intelligence? Like, obviously, you can't ever account for every single variable that it's going to encounter. Yeah, that's a really good question. So what we do in the industry, usually, first, we start from some benchmarks, right? Um and you try to create a benchmark, which is basically like a set of scenarios, if you want, where you see how the AI behaves. 
and you see how close it behaves to what's called usually the ground truth, which is the way you want it to behave. Okay. So that has been the standard in the industry and research. Um, sometimes the challenge in research benchmark is that they are kind of artificial. That means they don't really map the actual usage. In industry, what you can do, which is the best practice, is you kind of keep updating your benchmark based based on what the user is doing. So every day, right, more people use my product sizzle, and I look at their usage, and I take a segment of that, and then I'm going to sample it, and I'm going to evaluate how well our software does on it. So you cannot kind of do this, right? You look at how people use your software, you take a some sample, and you evaluate how well it did. That allows you to figure out, you know, over time, how well the system is doing. Okay, yeah. Thanks for listening to MPB Think Radio and tuning into Everyday Tech this morning. My name is Abram Nanny, your host for the hour. I'm discussing AI with tech industry leader Jerome Pazenti. Jerome, we talked a lot about what AI is and kind of clarifying that it can, in fact, be used in a good, helpful way. And before the break, you mentioned your your new project, Sizzle. Uh, that's something you've been working on these past few months, correct? That's right. Okay, can, can you kind of um, explain what what Sizzle came from? I mean, Sizzle uh, is trying to make uh, learning amazing for everyone. You know, leveraging AI to make AI a lot to make learning a lot more engaging, a lot more uh, effective, a lot more personalized. Uh, what it came up from is that I, uh, you know, I've been in AI for a long time, and the big question I ask myself is, what has AI done for you? You know, I, I could ask you that, Emma. Like, what has AI done for you so far? AI has given me several shows to talk about on this on this show right here for the hour. It's given me several subjects to bring up. Uh, I don't it's think been good. It's been good. General public, though. <laughs> but it, it has been very helpful as far as um, you know, entertainment wise for me. Yes, but I think I would say you know, the, for most people, right the. Uh, AI has been a buzzword, you know, it's around, the technology has made huge progress, but it hasn't really changed people's lives yet, right? What has it done, you know, in your everyday life that makes it so much easier? And so what I am to do with starting Sizzle is to make learning a lot easier, a lot better, a lot more engaging, you know? So can AI make us better? You know, that's my goal. That that would be, that is a, that is a good goal for AI instead of it being about, you know, making the machine as good as possible. It could be about improving our lives as well. That's right. Um, So reading up on what inspired your current foray into AI, the idea for Sizzle came from doing homework, correct? Well, I have four kids. uh, So I spent a lot of time with them. I'm not sure (laughs) they'll that time. So I'm like, well, I can replace myself. At least part of myself uh, uh, with something that's uh, more patient than me, that answers all their questions uh, where there's no bad questions. Uh, so that was one of the idea. The other, obviously, is that not everybody has access to a tutor or a parent that's uh, willing to help. And so uh, the idea is how can you make, you know, uh, tutoring or AI help, you know, universal so everybody can have some kind of learning companion in their pockets that helps them get get unblocked, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, and in the past year or so, many students have used AI applications to give them quick answers to math problems or discussion posts. Um, and it seems like you're trying to kind of do the opposite of that with Sizzle, right? Well, what we want to do is get people to learn. Okay, so the right. objective as a company is to make people learn better, faster, and more, uh, and use their time to do that. Not to just solve problems and cheat, okay? That's not what we want to do. Exactly. Uh, 
So what do you think students and teachers alike can gain from using AI as a tool in the classroom? I think it's the two things I mentioned. One is access, uh, which is, you know, it is not easy to solve some of this problem on your own or to prep for something of test, right? And the access to this support is very unequal, especially in the United States, right? You have a subpopulation that has, you know, tutors and people who can do one-on-one education on top of uh, their classroom education, but the majority of people are not don't have access to that. Right? It's very expensive. Uh, and then the rest of the world, right? Many countries, people don't have access uh, to that at all, right? So one is access. Uh, and the second is also making that learning interaction a lot more engaging and personalized. Uh, in the classroom, it's hard to have one-on-one attention. A teacher cannot spend, you know, an hour, each hour with each student. But, you know, AI in some ways is infinitely patient, right? So it can actually, you know, answer any of your questions and it can understand you for who you are and how you're learning versus trying to have one method for everybody. Oh, for sure. And I know I know it's unnecessary for me to have to say this every time, but the world is steadily becoming like more technologically advanced. So we got to keep up with it. And obviously, so do our classrooms. So since we've got this accessibility, we might as well use it, right? That's right. And also, you know, to be clear, these tools, you know, are becoming key in the workplace. So one thing I mentioned to many people is today, you know, I recruit developers and programmers, and I would not recruit a programmer that doesn't use GPT, for example, or Copilot to help them. It just makes them a lot more effective. It's like a new calculator, if you want. Mm-hmm. So you got to have, you got to inject this in the, you know, learning environment because it's going to be injected in the work environment. So in the same way, you wouldn't imagine having students not use computers today. You know, in a few years, you won't imagine students not using AI. For sure. And, you know, this is Mississippi Public Broadcasting. So I'd like to include some perspective in Mississippi education and technology for other Mississippians. Kind of spit out some statistics real quick, if you'll hear me for a second. Uh, Mississippi high schools have an average graduation rate of 87.7%, which is actually above the national average of 86.5%. Despite this, Mississippi is ranked 41st by an overall education standard. To me, the biggest bummer of all is Mississippi's representation in STEM, the industries of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, as analyzed by 247wallstreet.com in studies done in 2020 and 2021. And the sad thing about this is I just kind of knew for, to look for Mississippi on the list to just scroll to the bottom of the list. Uh, based on the average... Of three different variables, Mississippi ranks 50th in the nation for STEM industrialization. We're also ranked 50th in all three of those variables individually. We are 3.3% of our workforce is employed in STEM. 6.9 patents per capita are applied for in Mississippi. And venture capital invested is $11.3 million. All three of those are the lowest of every state. And I tell you all that to point out that there's a clear deficiency in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics in Mississippi. What is, so what do you think about that initially, just to, just to hear of that with someone with your personal experience? I mean, it's a problem I would love to help solve. And I hope actually Sizzle will help solve. I think really the, the lack of interest in STEM, right, is often due to the way it's taught and the access people have to it. And so one of the goals of Sizzle, right, is to really make STEM learning a lot more engaging, a lot more accessible, a lot more available to everybody, right? And my view is that I don't think the current 
you know, educational system can get there by just scaling it, I think it will require new tools and AI most likely will be the way to get there. For sure. Now, it's it's my personal belief that incorporating more STEM into the learning process could help improve those numbers. Obviously, this is a huge question to ask you, uh, and we can't fully analyze it right now. But, Jerome, how do you think STEM in education would affect the overall STEM industry? Well, I think this, I mean, the industry today needs a lot more STEM graduates. I don't know if that's what you're asking. Yeah, yeah. Basically, there is a demand for it. So it's not a question of demand. It's a question of availability. And it's a question of training people and getting them interested in the field. You know, one thing I want to mention, right, it's not just about, like, getting people access. It's also make it a lot more compelling to do this. I think, you know, learning engineering, learning math, learning STEM, especially in the U.S., sometimes it's seen as a bit like, you know, drab and like not very interesting and something just for geeks. I think that's that's a mistake. You know, I think you can make STEM learning a lot more interesting, a lot more engaging and accessible to all. So if we can do that, you can interest a lot more people and the industry as a whole will be super pleased by that because there is, you know, huge demand that's not satisfied right now in terms of talent. I, I fully agree with you. As a former drab geek in high school, I, I fully agree that STEM could be uh very much more involved. Um, you know, I remember distinctly when personal computers first started being incorporated into the classroom. And you said earlier that, you know, if you went into an office workspace today and they didn't have computers, like it would it would kind of look lackluster. So why is it that there is such a delay in advancing technology in the classroom as opposed to workforces and, you know, home well, I do think, I mean, to be fair, right, in the past 10 years, schools ha- have integrated um, some, you know, learning tools and the computers. You know, I think there's a lot more access right now. But I'd say, you know, the the main way of teaching hasn't changed, you know, like the the lecture, for example, the model of the lecture, which even universities still use today, right, which is known to be extremely ineffective, uh, hasn't changed. There's this, mo- there's this little acronym called ICAP. Uh, it's it's very interesting. It's called interactive, constructive, active, passive. It basically is the uh, scale, if you want, of effectiveness of learning. So passive is the worst. Active, when you're taking notes a little bit, is a little better. Uh, constructive, when you're solving exercises, way better. And then interactive, when you're discussing someone with someone else, some concept and trying to explain to them, that's the best. You know, unfortunately, if you look at our classroom today, right, a lot of the learning is passive or at best active, right? Right. So the question is, can you use AI to allow a teacher to make, you know, an environment a lot more constructive and interactive? But they cannot talk to each student on their own, but an AI could do that. So I think that's the opportunity. Absolutely. And and why do you think that educators should embrace this technology, you know, sooner rather than later? Because I think they have an impossible task without it. Uh, they cannot provide personalized education to all their students. They cannot appeal to the brightest student in a classroom and the one that, that struggled the most, right? And so by having these assistive tools, right, it's not going to replace them. I think we need teachers, we need more teachers than we have today. But they need to be able to concentrate on what they are good at best, right? Whereas, you know, grading or evaluating students or giving them more, like, these things can be done by automated system, right? Or answering their questions, you know, like, on a particular point, um, a teacher should be more of a coach, right? It should be an enabling collaborative, you know, learning in a classroom. And maybe the one-on-one interaction, the 
the definite feed, you know, the personalized feedback that can be done by an AI. And if they embrace that, they'll be able to multiply themselves, right? Uh, and be a lot more effective for all their students. Right, for sure. And if there's there's one big uh, takeaway from any seg, any anything that you just said in that last one is that the to me the most important thing is that you are not trying to replace teachers, but try to give them a tool. You know, a lot of people for for many people the use of AI in the classroom is you know largely unknown, but so was the use of computers at one point. So was the use of projectors at one point. Um, so can you speak a little bit about how significant problem solving skills? are for students, you know, especially in this day and age, and explain how AI can help students with those more specific uh, problem-solving problems. Well, one thing we see, for example, is to be able to improve, right, uh, you need to practice certain things, right? And you need to practice, uh, you know, what's called like deliberate practice. You need to practice this, the aspect of the problem that you know uh, worst, right, that you are not able to solve. So when you're in a classroom, the challenge is, the teacher can only teach one thing, right? And that may be the right thing to teach for student A, but student B is struggling with something else. Often with a concept that, you know, was taught prior that, but that they missed, right? That they still understand. So the key, right, to improving this problem solving is to focus on the part that the student hasn't grasped yet, right? And to make sure that they are learning it in the right order. So with an AI system, right, you could analyze how well the student is doing and just focus their practice on what they need to do next that's most effective for them, not just for a classroom as a whole. Right. Um, so we want to, the goal is ultimately to build these problem-solving skills and to fight back against what AI is going to be doing in the classroom already, right? Because it's kind of combating each other is AI, you look for AI as a uh, problem solver instead of AI as a problem you know, giver, a a, a tutor yeah i would say i think there's two sides of this right one is we are going to use ai as a tool right so when i'm coding today i have a coding problem i'm trying to solve one of the first thing i do i don't go to google i go to ChatGPT and i explain the problem and i see the answer i think we need to teach problem solving with access to tools i think this is this is where the future of work is going this is the way the future of teaching goes but it doesn't mean skipping on understanding the basics. You know, what I always say, you know, obviously I know that that feel well, which is like, you know, coding and, and, and computers. GPT makes the best coder way better. It doesn't make the bad coder better, actually. And so it doesn't mean you can skip on learning the fundamentals. It's just that you need to learn the fundamentals and AI can help you do this. And once you know your fundamentals, AI can really make you a lot more effective to do your job. Right. That makes sense? Absolutely, it does. We're glad you found our show, Everyday Tech, on MPB Think Radio. This is Abram Nanny, and my guest for the hour is Jerome Pazenti, a forerunner in the world of AI, and we've been talking about just that, AI. And Jerome, about nine years ago, you did a TED Talk about cognitive computing, which was very informative for anyone who would be interested to watch it on YouTube, and you opened by talking about the famous Jeopardy! contestant, Watson. Can you tell me about him? Yeah, I mean, it was one of the progress uh, in AI, a big progress in 10 years ago, which was, you know, now seems pretty standard, but at the time was pretty amazing, which is, you know, a computer able to answer most trivia questions. Right. Uh, so you would think, or, you know, at least I would when I first saw it, that Watson operated sort of like an internet search engine. While that technically is true, from my understanding, it's a bit more complicated than that, right? Yeah, and actually, it was not connected to the internet, so you actually had like an offline base that he could access. 
And the key was to find, you know, this document, but also find the right answer in each document. So it was more elaborate than just a pure search engine. It could actually find, you know, the question for the answer because it's Jeopardy. And that requires some pretty advanced natural language processing. Right. So, so when searching for an answer, Watson could like look for every possible answer at the same time, instead of it scrambling, you know, straight to the right answer, it would see several things all at once. And it would rate them after. So it would look at, you know, all the possibilities, extract the ent- entities out of it, and then figure out which one is the most likely to be the answer. And it could do that better than the best human out there. You know? That That's so crazy. And you, you'd have to hope that linguistically he understood the questions like grammar, inflections, etc. And you went on to talk of uh, other AI systems in that TED Talk and how they can do things like recognize a face or a letter or number statistically better than humans can. And That's right. That's what our system can do today. Yeah. So that was that was nine years ago. So I can only imagine AI has gotten nine years better as well. Do you are there any more like you said, 97 percent better than AI or AI was like 97 percent better success rate than humans at the time. Um, is there any more numbers you have on that? Is that something that you know off the top of your head? No, I would say, you know, what happened in the past 10 years is most benchmark that we've sent to uh, AI has been has been broken, okay? But you have to be a little bit skeptical of the benchmark. Right? I mentioned that earlier. There's this kind of artificial set of problems. And nowadays, we're so good at creating AI that every time we come up with one, one research team will be able to create a system that almost matches them. So our benchmarks are not hard enough, if you want. And the reason is because they don't reflect, like I would say, very high-level intelligence. They tend to be too task-based to be uh, very realistic. So today, right, one of the most impressive systems is is uh, GPT, right, or GPT-4. And the benchmark that they're using are actually like human benchmark, you know, like AP test or the SAT or test that in the L, you know, uh, the LCAT, the test that you actually give humans, they make the machine pass them. Right. Uh, so these AIs, they're constantly getting better as they like the more that chat GPT four is up, it's getting better. What, what is that AI system called? What is that type of system? Well, right now we call them large language model, right? So the big craze of the past, I would say three, four years, you know, in, in 10 years ago, when the way neural networks came out was all through vision. The big craze was computer vision and having computers understand images. In the past few years, the big craze have been language models. And their language, their models are basically trained to predict the next word. It's amazingly simple uh, in some aspect, which is you fit it billions and trillions of words, and you ask it, okay, are you able to train yourself to predict the next word in each of these texts? And it can do that really well. And when you train a system to be able to do that, it's able to do a lot more interesting tasks. And it's able to complete your question with an answer that's very, very meaningful. Right. And that that is called uh, deep learning. Is that what you would call that? So deep learning is, the is I would say, the foundational technology, which is a set of algorithms that behave like neural networks, which is you have a set of little atoms of calculation that feed another layer of atomic calculation that feed another one. Um, but, you know, large language models use neural networks and they are one type of application of neural networks. 
Right. Uh, so also on YouTube, I found that you spoke at the African Institute for Mathematical Sciences during their launch of the African Masters of Machine Intelligence. And, you know, as a personal note, that's that's super interesting. That's what gave me a lot of my knowledge of AI for the first segment of this show. Uh, do you mind just telling me, like, what it meant to you to be able to do that, to bring uh, and or to go to a obscure location and speak on such a advanced topic like that yeah it's one of the things i'm the most you know i was the most excited about when i was at meta is again i mentioned to you right we are looking for stem talent we're looking for people who know machine learning who know these technologies and our thoughts what we could educate people everywhere in the world to do that and africa is the source of the most young talent in the world today right there's a lot of uh young people there and we think that these people could become the engineers of the future Right. So that's that's really interesting to me is just like, you know, we talked about accessibility and how not everywhere has access. But, you know, we're slowly developing or machines and industrialization is slowly developing in those African countries. That's right. I'm really hoping that 20 years from now, maybe, uh, you know, a large part of our engineers will come from Africa. That would be sizzle, you know, (laughs) That that would be awesome. I've still got Mr. Jerome Pizzenti with me, and it has been an absolute blast picking his brain about the stuff we talk about every week here on Everyday Tech. For the last few minutes of the show, though, I want to talk a little more generally about AI and its overall impact on our future. So, Jerome, what's what's some common misconceptions about AI? Well, I think people are worried in the wrong places. Okay, so with the whole hype around AI recently, there was this whole thing around AI taking over the world and, you know, AI destroying humanity. I mean, that may become a concern at some point in the future, (laughs) but we're really, really not there. AI is not that smart, okay? And it does what we tell it to do. It works in a certain container, okay? It doesn't mean that people should not be, uh, you know, worried about AI. I think AI is becoming more and more impactful, and it's important to understand you know, how it works, and especially what its objectives are. Um, so I think that's, you know, understanding what to worry about is the main thing. For sure. And like, it's it can only do, as of right now, it can only do what it's prompted to do, correct? That's right. I mean, it, it you know, it doesn't even have a physical form, right? So it's not going to, you know, raise an army or do things, you know, it's running in a container. <laughs> if you don't let it access critical system, it won't, right? Uh, that's, that is the next question that I had. Is so, what do you think of the prospect of any sort of like ex machina or, a, or age of Ultron sentient AI coming up? I mean, I do think you know, like putting AI in weapons is something that's very questionable and should be scrutinized like very, very heavily. Right. Right. It's not so much about AI itself. It's about like where do you put it, uh, and where you put that automation. And in many ways, it's no different from prior automation. Right. We couldn't have, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, create autonomous system, like a personal mind, for example, is, is a system that, you know, kills people without really, really understanding what it does. Um, so there are uses of AI that are very questionable, and people should ask questions, for sure. For sure. And in the TED Talk I mentioned, uh, you said maybe in our lifetime in reference to these sentient AIs. Uh, if you could, please tell us where you see AI heading in the future. And is that the direction you'd hoped it would go? And what what would you hope out of AI? 
I mean, for me, the big thing is, you know, is the question I asked you earlier, which is what has AI done uh, in, your, in your life? And what I'm hoping to see in the next 10 years is really significant gain for people in their daily life, right? It makes what they want to do easier, faster, better. It makes their life better. So that's the future I hope to see, an AI that makes people's life better, right? It's not about AI itself, right? Who cares? Technology is here to serve us, right? So that's what I hope to see. Uh, what I could be a little worried is, you know, people using AI to make the world not really a better place, right? Right, for sure. Now, is there anything that we missed that you might have that might have come up in your mind as we were talking? Is there something that we skipped over a little bit? I mean, I think it's really important, you know, I mentioned this, you know, to understand the objective of AI, right? Uh, one of the things behind Sizzle I want to do is have an AI whose objective is to make you a better person, is to get you to learn something, right? So that after you use and you interact with that AI for an hour, a day, a month, you come out a better person, you're more knowledgeable, you're more capable, you're more employable. I think understanding what the objective of AI is, is quite important, right? If the AI is there just to keep you stuck to a screen, that's what you will do, right? And it's pretty good at optimizing this thing. So right. I think this is a question people need to ask. What is the AI designed to do, right? What is objective? What is trying to do to me? So uh, you might have already beat, been ahead of me on that. So uh, the one lesson or one thing that you hope every listener would take home having learned from this hour today. That's it. You know, yeah. ask what the AI is trying to do to you, you know. Yeah, and, and absolutely just try to make it work for you and not, you know, any other any other function is just not its ideal. That's right. I mean, sometimes, you know, AI can be good at, uh, I would say, hacking our brains, right? It really understands our behavior. The question is, is it trying to emphasize the good behavior, like me learning? Or is it trying to emphasize the bad behavior, which is like we, me you know, just scrolling, you know, doom scrolling, right? Absolutely. Well, that is going to wrap us up for the day. Thanks, Mr. Jerome Pazenti, for talking to me for the past hour. It has been a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show, and we'd love to have you back on the time on the show with the full cast of Everyday Tech someday. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I'll see you soon then. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. If we do need to get some listener questions for you, email us at everydaytech at mpbonline.org. If you have any questions for the future or just to tell us how much you want Jerome back on the show. If you missed any of the show, make sure you listen back to it on your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app. Everyday Tech is brought to you by Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and generous contributions from listeners. I've been your host, Abram Nanny, and I've got my engineers, Lacey and Java, here helping me. Up next is Dr. Jimmy with the original Southern Remedy. We'll be back next Wednesday morning at 10. For Jerome Pazenti and the rest of the Everyday Tech crew, thank you for tuning in to MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.